So thank you very much for uh, a very interesting panel discussion. And now we will go into the bank finance. So I would kindly ask Dr. Carolyn Schmetling, a partner from Ellerman, Rindfleisch and Gatto to come and uh, take over. So while the panelists are coming to uh, the table, uh, I would like to say that um, this is a particularly exciting topic. Shipping is a capital intensive industry, depending on bank financing. And I think bank financing today is changing quite significantly under the current conditions, geopolitical uh, threats. Uh, please take come and geopolitical threats, uh, interest rate volatility, and also ship owners who are making a lot of money and maybe not, they're not maybe in need of uh, as much debt financing as before. So please guide us through. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nicholas, and thank you to Capitalink uh, for having us. Um, but for just everyone gets organized. Well, let me start with a um, warm welcome to all these gentlemen up here. Um, and uh, it's uh, great to have you all here. And I would uh, also like uh, each of you to give just a very brief introduction of who you are and uh, what you do in your professional life. And um, But uh, to start off with, um, we have a pretty uh, challenging task because we're going to talk about uh, the challenges of ship finance adapting to the new landscape and that is uh, particularly the geopolitical landscape and of course uh, the green transition or, or transition towards sustainability um, but also I think um, we touched on that in the panel before um, uh, transition probably towards more collaboralization um, among stakeholders uh, in the industry. And just focusing on all this from a ship financier's point of view. And uh, we have just one, I was about to say black sheep um, <laughs> among these gentlemen who is not really a finance uh, man, but probably um, we'll start with Klaus uh, uh, to introduce, but then Jan Hendrik, it's your turn. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Great to be here in Hamburg. Uh, this feels a bit like one of those press conferences after a soccer match, <laughs> sitting in front of the bottles. Uh, yeah, my name is Klaus Schmidberger. I'm with KFW IPEX Bank. Um, I'm at the bank for the last 15 years, and nine years of that I've been in, in the shipping industry, maritime industry as we call it. Um, I just came back from Singapore where I was uh, leading the yeah, Asia-Pacific uh, origination activities, um, and now I'm back in, in Frankfurt since uh, early this year, covering the German and the Dutch markets, and uh, it's great to be here in Hamburg. Um, I have a great close relationship to Hamburg. Uh, my wife was born here, I have to say, it's the greatest city. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to meet you all and be part of this panel. Good, I'm the black sheep on the panel, thanks a lot. Um, Jan-Henrik Hübner from DNV, obviously not a ship financier other than the gentleman at my side but um, in charge for what we call shipping advisory and uh, working a lot at the interface between ship financing banks and uh, ship owners. Being on the Poseidon principles or sustainable finance and so on, there's a lot to do these days, so that's probably why I've been invited here too as a black sheep, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, 
Um, my time for tells here at T-Bank. I'm, I'm a little black sheep because I'm a Hollander. CIT <laughs> uh, uh, Bank, uh, US bank with a modest uh, ship finance portfolio. We try to uh, lend as much money to German owners, European owners, US owners. Um, been in ship finance for almost 24 years. A few ex bosses sitting in the audience, so I better perform. <laughs> Hello, my name is Carl Reda. I am uh, Vice President at Bocom Leasing, uh, one of the bigger leasing houses uh, in China. We have today a shipping portfolio of about 15 billion with 430 vessels. Um, we're active across all segments and I myself focus very much on the European market where we work on the one hand with ship owners but most of all a lot with uh, industrial companies and um, and basically the end users that uh, are looking at decarbonizing the industry. Yeah, Philip Wünschmann, uh, heading the shipping activities at Berenberg. Um, and I'm very happy uh, that we have such a conference here. And I think uh, if we talk about adaptation, there might be the first adaptation here is that we have a content conference within the iSpine Week in Hamburg, which is a great thing. <laughs> thanks, to, thanks to Nicolas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now um, let's jump right into it. And I think um, first I would like to start with the geopolitical um, challenges. And I would like to ask Martijn and Philip, um, I'll probably start with Martijn. Um, I think we all agree that uh, the geopolitical challenges are um, really, really big for the industry out there. Um, the financiers usually are a little, probably a step behind that, but um, how would you say what are the major effects you've seen as a bank so far on that, uh, on that side, and um, how are you adapting, and how have you adapted um, so far? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. Um, I immediately wrote down where you said geopolitical, uh, uh, both, both Russia and China, and, and uh, one, one is an, an, an issue and the other is an opportunity, actually. Um, the, as, a, as a US institution, we, we are quite strict on sanctions language, always have been, and uh, all the sanctions on Russia is, is definitely something that, uh, that now plays into uh, uh, you know what's client, what client to choose, how you how stuck you're going to be on your loan agreements. It, it is definitely on uh, on the forefront of uh, of our lending. Always has been, um, and that doesn't make it easier. So it's a there's a lot of monitoring we do, um, uh, close contact obviously with our clients, knowing what their trade is. Uh, it for us it was again being a used institution it was. Bit more on the forefront. We were not as relaxed, I think, as the European lenders were, and I say were because I think they they now all play catch up very fast. Um, uh, on the other hand, geo geopolitics, uh, polit politics, sorry, um, is also an opportunity. Um, when it comes to China, all of a sudden everybody is aware of what sanctions can do, and. I'm, I'm having my colleague sitting <laughs> left to me. Uh, um, there's an opportunity of refinancing Chinese leases. There's a lot of 
a lot of owners that, that are reconsidering their exposure to Chinese financing. Uh, not only from a monetary point of view, I mean, maybe cheaper to, to finance on, on this side of the globe again, but also, okay, what, what if something happens, then, then my ship is owned by a Chinese lessor, and they may still be friendly to me, which I suspect, but regulations may just forbid, you know, yada, 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 yada. You, you don't know what you don't know. So, um, geopolitical politics uh, both a worry and an opportunity in my view. Okay, yeah. thanks Philip. Yeah, as you know, um, for us shipping and banking always means uh, basically three areas. Uh, it's obviously ship finance as you know, but it's also about banking services as a second area and uh, last but not least uh, investment. So if I look at the three areas of activities, I would say uh, the banking services were most hit or most impacted by uh, the Russian war in, in Ukraine. And uh, probably this took us or kept us busy this year uh, heavily. Uh, as you know, we as banks support you being able to uh, safely and uh, um, transact, yeah, basically, so make payments throughout the world, which is at the basis of, of, of your activities. And uh, it was a big challenge. And, uh, it uh, came from uh, a case-by-case -case assessment uh, earlier this year when the war started. Basically, we cared about seafarers and, and, and things. It then turned out to, to look into KYC. Do we have Russian or Russian-backed uh, structures? Uh, and it ended up now in, in talking about cargo and understanding as a bank uh, what kind of cargo is transported around the world by our clients. And uh, I think from that adapting point of view, we adapted in the sense that uh, we, by the summer, figured out that case by case is not possible if you, if, if you service like 70,000 payments a month for shipping clients. Yeah, that, is, that is simply not uh, possible anymore. So we put out a clear guide, guideline and uh, basically no Russia anymore. And... Um, uh, for us, that means the exceptions, which we still look at from that point of view, are uh, obviously paying seafarers. Uh, it's grain transport from Russia, which is still something which we would uh, consider. Um, and the third area are claim handling of claims which, which p clubs or so might have. These are the three areas which we would look at uh, carefully and case by case. For the rest, we tell our clients be careful because it's a major and infinite uh, reputational and legal risk for, for most of them. So that's a very clear position we take there. Um, I agree with Martin, uh, China is, is kind of an opportunity on the financing side where Russia is, doesn't play a role for us. Um, uh, but um, also there, um, obviously uh, China is, is also something which we, and this is then coming to the investment side, we hear more and more investors asking questions about China and uh, this consideration of having it as an opportunity uh, at the same time is, is the risk for uh, which, which investors uh, backing our ship financing activities, for example, uh, or considering investments into, into vessels, uh, new buildings, um, might, might have on their radar stronger than before. Mm -hmm. And um, from the, um, to, to all of you probably, um, the question, from the geopolitical situation, it follows obviously that we may have an in 
or that we may increase certain capacities more than others. So strategy-wise, would you look into some segments more closer than into others, or don't you think that we are there yet to assess that on a sort of mid-term, long-term run? Probably, um, Carl, you're looking at me that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, maybe um, I can start by picking up two of uh, Martin's and um, Philip's point, who have been putting me on the wall here. Um, I think there's, there's two elements here. On the one hand, you have the element that you mentioned, Martin, with the, with the paybacks that um, may occur in the market, and you have the element of uh, geopolitical risk when it comes to Chinese financings. And I wouldn't necessarily say that, as of today, they are correlated, because if you look at the, the paybacks that you may see with some Chinese leasing houses, then it's something you see across the finance industry for the clients that we have, because many of our clients have been putting up those financing structures in the past five, six years, and basically going through this substantial bull market of the past two and a half years have generated sufficient capital to say, either I can refinance in a better way, or um, I just have today the, the means of taking this financing out. And that's something we have seen across all segments, but I mean, quite prominently, for instance, in the um, container segment. Yeah? Now, to the second point um, of the concern when it comes to geopolitics and uh, Chinese finance, I think that clearly has been, so, or has been present in the market, but it's something that we have been seeing for a longer time as well. It's not as if it would only have appeared this year. Um, we work a lot with the charters, with the end users of this industry, and the geopolitical aspect is now very present here in Europe. It's been very present before, I mean, think of Australia, where many of the miners are based, for instance. Yeah? Those are people that have always had this concern about the political implication of, say, for instance, sanctions that may appear that would interdict trading. And that's something that we have been addressing in our documentation quite actively in a way that we need to provide our client, obviously, with a, with a way out of the, of the contracts if there is contradictory sanctions that would uh, not allow us to trade the vessels with them any longer. Um, and I think that's quite an important point. And maybe finally to come back to your question, um, is there certain segments that we are more focused on than others at this point in time? Well, we, we are active across all segments. Of course, there, I mean, if you want to go through all of them, then it's going to take a, a bunch of time. But um, of course, the energy markets provide many, many opportunities, and we see the willingness of industrial companies to provide much longer coverage than they used to, and this is an opportunity that we see today in the market. Um, looking into the container side, this is uh, obviously slowing down a bit right now. Um, the bulk markets are quite uh, interesting these days. Now, on a more general, um, on a more general note, we all face the issue that New building values are very high, uh, and values across the board are extremely high, and that's something that is not always easy to address um, as a leasing house that we are. Okay. Anyone of the different view, like already taking a turn in strategy as to certain segments among you? Mm, not really. No? Yep. 
Okay, then I would say we would uh, look at the next challenge, and that is the environmental challenge. And uh, uh, I mean, that has been around uh, for years, we can say now. Well, last year at Capital Inc., um, I think the panelists were more or less of the opinion, or the like on the finance panel were of the opinion, well, all this has to be in the end demand-driven, so at the very last step, the consumer demand, but the shipper demand, and then demanding from the owners the transition into green. We have, of course, regulatory steps right in front of us. We have the CII and uh, EXI introduction as of January. We have the trade, uh, emission trading um, probably in, in 24, as we see it. Um, but is this still common grounds that you would say and I think this has been, um, um, Carl has, has, has mentioned that before, that this may be an industry-driven and, and industry-demand-driven issue. Would, that, would you still support that, Carl? I would, yes, clearly. Um, I mean, from the experience that I myself have in the market that I'm covering, which is mostly European markets, where there is a lot of end users that we cooperate with, then uh, you clearly see that those those are closer to the end customer. They're typically companies that are more public or more in the spotlight than the shipping industry is, and they feel more of societal pr pressure to decarbonize. And this is something that then basically trickles down to what we finance, um, because if you want so, the baseline of their uh, cargo needs is something they're willing to cover um, and to take on their own balance sheet. And this is where we come in with our leasing structures and where we typically um, come in at the point in time where they finance the vessels that they're going to need for the next 10, 12, 15 years. And those would, of course, then be vessels that are fit for this and that feature all the, or depending on their view, alternative fuels or um, any other technology that would make these vessels greener. Klaus, um, KFW has been involved in sustainability-linked finance and green finance rather early in the process compared to other German banks, I would say. Um, but would you, would you say that your main focus is really on sustainability, at least sustainability-linked finance, or would you say that you're still looking at conventional propulsions, conventional vessels? Um, what would be this percentage? Yeah, well, we as KFW IPEX, we, first of all, we finance like, um, yeah, propulsion agnostic, but it has to be, yeah, state-of-the-art, I'd say. Like, we, of course, we can still, uh, we focus on green and, 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 and clean propulsions, but of course we have to finance what is there, what is ordered. We cannot take this decision on ourselves and push any owner to d take this decision in our what we have in mind. So as long as we can do, yeah, we do conventional uh, propulsions, but of course we we look for the yeah, what's the what's the strategy, the sustainability strategy of the owner? Is this like part of his transition towards maybe a, a greener uh, future? And if we see the actual strategy on that, we take this into consideration and take this into account when we look at the whole project and assess it. It's not only return and profit oriented. It's also we want to see okay, where's the sustainability link in in that order? We started in 2012, I think, looking at EDI. So every mm -hmm. new project that we take on, our financings have to fulfill this EDI, or we, we compare it. Okay, where does it, uh, how does it look compared to the fleet that's on the water at the moment? 
And I think this has been our strategy since then. And now, uh, yeah, we signed Poseidon principles, so we also look into the, the performance, not only the EDI, and going forward, um, yeah, definitely, this, the sustainability aspect will become more and more important, not only the, yeah, just profit and volumes as conventional banking monitoring, I think, uh, was in the past, it will be more and more, again, impact monitoring as well. Like, okay, what's the impact of our financing? What's the impact of what we do here as a, as a bank? And mm -hmm. here, sustainability is, yeah, it's, <laughs> it will be, I think, integrated into our DNA if it's not already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, this leads over to Jan Hendrik and his um, rather advisory work and, and also, of course, um, reporting and monitoring related. Um, so what would you say are the sort of main KPIs or main criteria you see that, or you would advise also your, your clients, um, they should integrate into their, um, into their business, into their uh, reporting requirements? And... Um, yeah, probably we started with that. Good. Colleen, you mentioned earlier on the regulation, um, EXI, CII, EU, ETS coming. And I uh, subscribe to Carl's uh, comment that markets are ahead of regulators. Uh, Poseidon principles have a perspective down to 2050. Uh, CII has a perspective down to 2026. Yeah? I mean, planning in five-year horizons uh, doesn't bring us near to decarbonization. Yeah? Um, so I uh, also would vote that, that regulators take a longer-term perspective, of course. Um, EDI or EXI, um, I'd say, was a good thing at its time. Uh, uh, those days when you implemented the EDI, it was the most commonly accepted indicator. It was a design indicator, which, in all honesty, now, as we see it with the EXI, which is quite similar, tells us hardly anything about the actual emission of the vessel. The, the EXI regulation may have reduced or may lead to a reduction of uh, emissions by one or two percent as we modeled in a, in a large number of uh, vessels because the speed loss you have with that um, uh, applies only in, in very few percent of your historic trade patterns. So basically EXI is surely not the one um, which uh, uh, helps us there, even though in the EU taxonomy uh, the EDI or EXI is, is part of it. We have to look at operational indicators, so basically the AER uh, or the EOI. Um, for me, both equally uh, important or equally relevant. The AER uh, actually uh, is, is the indicator behind the CII of the IMO, and from my perspective, the AER has come because banks have introduced Poseidon principles. It, it didn't come from the regulators, it came from the industry that we have that now. And uh, that's an indicator which is measuring the actual, or as people say, operational uh, CO2 emissions. So that's for sure needed. Your question was what uh, KPIs would we recommend in uh, sustainable finance? I mean, first we would differentiate what is green, sustainability linked and transition. And of course for green, uh, there, are, there are different uh, standards. EU taxonomy has evolved lately. Uh, CBI shipping criteria are there which look at AR or EUI. Um, and uh, then there's sustainability linked, and then uh, where, the, where the borrower can basically propose or choose uh, a sustainable performance target or a certain KPI. And there, of course, we would uh, require a CO2-related KPI in there, so either AER or EOI. Um, there can be additional indicators, a secondary, whatever, 
lost time incidents uh, or others, but uh, I think there would be no sustainability-linked finance in shipping without AER or EUI. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you mentioned, <coughs> of course, the Poseidon's principles, but that those, or at least the, the sort of agreement of the banks on the Poseidon principles sort of drove a little bit the regulatory process here. Um, would you see that this is... Um, uh, further accelerated, that there is further standardization around the corner, probably industry-driven, not so much regulatory-driven? Yeah, it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, I mean, uh, there's also some challenges with the trajectories of Poseidon principles, obviously, with the size classes, uh, for example, and uh, the discussion, which is a discussion among the Poseidon banks uh, and, and uh, insurances, but also in IMO is uh, the current regulation uh, basically strict enough? Will it lead us to, to Paris alignment to one and a half degrees? I mean, I guess majority of people would say no. And therefore also in Poseidon there's a discussion to, to change the trajectories, um, either keeping the same logic with the size classes and so on, or leaving that. That may lead to an alignment with the logic behind the CII. So there's development there on both sides, on the on the market-driven side as well as on the regulatory side. But but again, I want to give my vote. Uh, please, regulators and please, industry associations, uh, don't decide something with a five-year horizon because uh, if uh, investors want to invest in something, they need certainty. And uh, there's, it's not certainty if you have uh, certainty on the regulation for five, year, uh, five years, which is basically 20% of a vessel's lifetime. Um, there needs to be a clear... Uh, visible regulation down to 2050. Uh, there needs to be, um, yeah, I mean, s some more certainty on CO2 prices down to 2050. I mean, currently we have 80. We could make a, uh, we could ask the audience what they think will be the average CO2 price in, in the 2030s and in the 2040s, but I think we could bet that, uh, I mean, a new build built now will we'll see a lifetime average CO2 price of what? 150 to 200, something like this, which will, of course, enable far more uh, measures being implemented in an economical way uh, than, than now. Uh, but already now, sorry to speak that long, um, um, many of the measures, I mean, you could probably achieve like 20% reduction uh, compared to today's level based on measures which have negative abatement cost, so which would pay back uh, already at today's CO2 prices, or even if we don't, wouldn't have any CO2 price, all this bow retrofit propeller, PID, variable frequency drive, and so on, uh, this all pays off um, for, for, uh, for, for vessels in the, in the retrofit case even, and of course even more in a new build case. Talking about retrofit, I think um, last week um, we've seen the German Environmental Award uh, being given to the um, um, becker mewis um, So um, if we look at retrofit and retrofit finance. I understand KFW, you've, um, you have had some projects on retrofit finance. You've supported retrofit, um, retrofits for a couple of years already. Um, what would be sort of your most plastic example, probably where it probably also pays off for mid-sized ship owners to um, Yeah, engage. so yeah, retrofit financing has been, yeah, with us, I think, Early years of 2014-15-ish, we did a large project propeller retrofit for a large liner. Uh, exported uh, propellers from 
uh, yeah, MMG and what's, and then we, the challenge is always when you put uh, like supplies on an existing vessel, okay, how to finance it without touching the existing structure, without, uh, yeah, touching the existing financing and getting into the ways of, an, uh, yeah, the securities and so on, so. So the hundred vessels that these propellers were dedicated Probably. were not all financed by Cape? No, 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 we just financed just, just the, to the, make pure, the pure <laughs> propellers. Uh, on a corporate basis, yeah, and then we got uh, the backing from an ECA that was quite a, so we could manage to work around the existing securitization uh, structure and uh, make this a really successful project. I don't know, the savings were substantial and I think it paid off within like much shorter than the actual tenor of the, of the, of the loan. And then with this, like what made it possible is like one propeller would not make, make, make sense for us to, to look at because we just yeah, have to be efficient with our allocation of, of, of resources, but packaging is the, the key. So you need a couple of, of those items. The more expensive, the, the easier to, you reach the, the threshold. So we copied that more or less with the, with, with the scrubbers and mm -hmm. uh, in the advent of, of 2020, IMO 2020, we did that, uh, we can do it for, we did it with uh, gas, uh, conversion and going forward, I see many opportunities for this, like wind, wind sails, technologies, other, yeah, like anything you could retrofit on a vessel, I think, can be financed with this kind of structure. And uh, we are very open to look at these kind of uh, projects. What yeah. it needs is, yeah, packaging. We can some sort of alternative security. Maybe an unencumbered vessel can do it. We also did that with, with the scrubbers back then, and. Uh, yeah, I think this is one measurement and that's like a low-hanging fruit, I would say. Uh, if you go into the dock, uh, fix that up, and then you have maybe the net 5 to 10, 20 percent, I don't know what's, what's in it at the moment. And with bunker prices as we see it today, I think the payback is, is quite attractive. Okay, thanks. Um, Martin and Philip, would you think that it is true that if we say last year or the year before, we still discussed in how far sustainability um, would actually lead to an effect in pricing. So the more sustainable behavior a ship or ship owner shows, um, the better the pricing. Would you say that this is still true and will be true within the next three, five years? Or would you rather say it's a yes and no where the capital will be provided? Um, we have the lowest pricing anyway, so I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no, joking aside, um, it is not that black and white. So I've, I've been listening to these very uh, inspiring uh, uh, stories here. Um, from where we sit, we follow the economics. And we're a little further down in the food chain. We're not ahead on determining regulations, because we're not as smart as you. And we're not up in the food chain because we're close to the yards and, and we, we, we really have uh, uh, big owners that can make a difference. So where we are lower in the food chain, economics work. And then it is, it is two things are very simple when we do a loan. Is how long can we give it for? So what is the economic life of a ship? And what is the assumed income for the ship? Both are impacted by greener regulation. So if your propulsion is more economic, so you burn less fuel, your net rate, what you can earn, will just be better. So that allows us to give you better financing, more money. If 
if your vessel is more modern, we can give it a longer economic life, therefore a longer loan. Uh, you get more money or you have to pay it back uh, uh, over a longer period, which lowers your break even. So these two very simple parameters of ship finance are a direct result from how modern is the ship, how efficient is the ship, so what basically how green is the ship, because it's all about burning fuel in the end. Mm. So that is, that is how these regulations impact our behavior uh, in terms of what we can finance and what will be economically and therefore environmentally obsolete sooner than anything else. I think, I think okay. that's how we view it. Jan Henrik has and regrettably, it. obviously, the let's say transformation factor. If you if you finance the propellers for a liner, that's somewhat easy. They pay the fuel themselves. If we have tonnage providers, obviously, it's different. And uh, uh, there, we need to come to more uh, agreement between both parties uh, how to share the benefits of these retrofits. But also, in the light of uh, CII regulation coming, in the light of EU ETS regulation coming, uh, I think on, on the CII side, there's more an obligation on the owner uh, to meet it. On the ETS side, it's more an obligation on the uh, charterer to provide the certificates in the end. So uh, that there needs to be more collaboration than it was or than we sense currently in the market. Yeah. Yeah, with, with regard to um, our markets, you uh, know that we very much focus on uh, conventional uh, second-hand tonnage so far. And uh, this is for us our contribution to, to the t transition period we are entering in. And, uh, in this markets, and this is very much still a private market thing, uh, rather than the public markets where uh, this sustainability-linked finance or green finance has already arrived in a way, uh, we don't see uh, too much of, of, let's say, pricing differentials or uh, elements of that in, in these conventional asset-based financing markets for, for second-hand tonnage. But I, I expect this, and I think we, we have entered a phase of becoming concrete now. Um, I think um, we are here, uh, sitting here, while we're sitting here, we are um, preparing ourselves for being able to offer something to our clients, which is also giving a kind of bonus malus uh, um, uh, system. But uh, obviously the precondition for that is that we have something which we can all um, agree on with regard to objective kind of KPIs. Yeah? And this is CII, uh, EXI. In, on the E side, uh, for the S and the G, okay, it's, it's a bit more difficult. But we have decided as Berenberg to, to develop our own ESG scoring, kind mm -hmm. of. Uh, and this will sooner or later be integrated in our risk assessment credit application process. And the moment we have that, we are able also to, to uh, allocate a, a certain pricing element to this. this. So this is from within the bank and the industry. The other side, obviously, is the regulator. And, and don't forget that so far, it is not a regulation in place, uh, in force, where uh, banks or investors have to allocate more equity uh, to if, if, they, if they do lend or uh, invest uh, non-green or green. Uh, but um, I think uh, only just just to come soon, um, we will see that. And yeah. we see that also, just the last example from the investor side, um, you know, if, if a life insurance company, which might invest in our uh, shipping debt, 
um, they put out green polices to, to their um, end users, and uh, they are now asked by the regulator to, to, to not only put out green polices, but also to, to, to allocate the green uh, investments to that, yeah? so that really you have something which is green. And that is a huge challenge, but will immediately impact uh, uh, their way to look at things, and they want then uh, to, to have also the, a bonus malus system on, on that. So I think we will see that, and pace is accelerating in, in the next two years. Uh, this is my, my concrete bet on that. Yeah, acceleration is probably the word um, because we're coming to an end and uh, I would like each of you to, to uh, just give a very brief outlook where you would see us in about uh, five to seven years time in terms of whether, the, whether things will accelerate, um, whether there will be more collaboration among stakeholders. We've heard that from the panel just before us, that there may be more collaboration needed, that there may be needed also a socialized or democratization of cost associated with this transformation process. So if we start with Klaus and then work our way, work our way back to Philip again. Yeah, the famous crystal ball question also <coughs> on this panel. Uh, yeah, I think we will definitely see more collaboration as we need more collaboration when it comes to the implementation of, for example, yeah, uh, alternative fuels. Uh, they won't come up by themselves. They need the, the clear regulation that provides uh, investment decisions less unsecure, uh, uncertain, so more certainty on that. I think we will see a higher mix of, of, of energy sources, as, as has been said before also on, on the stage. Uh, and uh, I think we will also see from the capital side, uh, I think, m more mix or collaboration from different kinds of, of pockets of, uh, of, 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 of capital. Mm -hmm. So there's not only the new building, there's also, yeah, there's secondhand, there's retrofit. There are certain, like, specialists provide certain, like, special sorts of capital okay. to this investment source. Yeah. Thank you. As um, acceleration, I think, is a change in speed. Um, I would say rather acceleration zero, but uh, good speed continuing. Um, I mean, yes, we've seen quite some changes over the last three, four years. And uh, if we continue with that speed, uh, that will be quite good. Um, I think there is more or less a consensus, or let's say a vast majority of people would say uh, that we need to come significantly further than we are now. So I think we have to have to keep that momentum, have to keep that speed. Uh, a collaboration, yeah, I mean, of course, I voted for this collaboration on the owner charter side, uh, but also on the implementation of alternative fuels uh, that will play an even more important role, of course. We have seen the first, what, liner companies engaging in uh, suppliers of synthetic LNG, for example, uh, or, or collaboration uh, between, yeah, Liners, as example, because they are kind of shaping the industry or, or companies with, with big uh, consumption and big balance sheet, uh, at least, uh, together with fuel suppliers, together with technology suppliers. Uh, they need to jointly uh, shape that. We cannot hope for uh, a small tonnage provider to uh, uh, accelerate Drive the transition, the but it needs to be driven by, by the big ones. More time. Yeah, I, I think this will this will stay. Whether it will accelerate, I don't know. It, it will stay the number one topic for for many years to come, um, because now it's all about scale. Uh, the ingredients are there to to make it a a greener propulsion, 
but, it, but how to technically do it and do it on scale. And, and the container industry has been uh, ordering uh, a lot of ships, but not all of them yet on, on what needs to be, the, uh, that's, that's the nature of the cycle, right? So maybe they were too early, but that's the cycle. And, and tanker owners and dry bulk owners have largely been on the fence for, okay, what is it gonna be? So I, I think for the, for, the, for the next few years, there's still uh, a, a lot of, confusion is not the word, but a lot of uncertainty, yeah. what the scale will be, and, and so the ingredients are there, but still the number one topic for the years to come. Yeah. I think we're right in the middle of it. Um, you have the public and the regulatory pressure that is clearly there. The industry today has the capital needed to decarbonize. Um, I mean, just simply think about what you see in the container industry. Um, some of them have taken massive funds, uh, for instance, methanol uh, propelled engines, and this is something they would have incapable of doing five years ago, and clearly the markets helped there. And last but not least, the, the end users, the charters, uh, are committing and willing to pay a premium for a greener vessel. And putting all of this together in very practical terms, if I look at my desk today, I would say that 70 to 80% of the projects that are coming uh, across that desk would be considered green. And that is much more than it was three years ago. Yeah, last but not least, um, I think uh, we, we will see um, accelerating challenges. Uh, especially uh, in the short term for tanker and bulker financings uh, of second-hand tonnage, because this can be, let's say, more challenging for anything which is regulated institutions. So this might walk out, and uh, good news for private debt funds, uh, as this might be easier for them to finance. So this is one of the immediate things mm -hmm. I see, at least uh, challenges ahead. And the other thing to mention, I think, is the whole question of... Uh, what I would call ESG KYC, um, which we all have in front of us. We all have survived the KYC uh, elements of the last 10 years uh, um, in, in, in more generally, but I think uh, for ESG it's kind of the same uh, and we have to make sure as, as, as an industry that we have efficient ways to, to gather the data we all need uh, to make decisions. And I think this is one of the major topics I, I see ahead of us. Well, thank you. Um, I think uh, there are many challenges still out there. We are almost, no, we just missed the time by one minute, so we just close. Thank you very much. <laughs>